I mentioned last week that, that we may have a, a week or a few weeks before we get back to our series in Romans, and, and I know we're going to get back there because a lot of things that, that's coming up is going to speak to the times of today. It's going to speak to the times leading into the election and all of that. And uh, last Sunday, I, I, I think I ended, I ended by reading uh, James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It was talking about we, we have an adversary. We have an adversary, the devil. And uh, last night, as I was, I was going over notes and I was preparing the sermon, and, and I thought, well, I had, it's been a while since I had I checked my email, so I, I clicked on it, and I saw... Um, I get these uh, daily meditations or devotionals from several uh, different ministries. One of them is Desiring God and, and John Piper's um, daily meditations. Well, the one that he sent out yesterday uh, was entitled Satan's Strategy and Your Defense. And, and I just want to read just a portion of it for you. And this, this is John Piper. And... Uh, and he read, um, he referenced First uh, Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. And then he goes on to say, The two great enemies of our souls are sin and Satan. And sin is the worst enemy. Because the only way that Satan can destroy us is by getting us to sin. That's that's good thought, isn't it? And and keeping us from repenting. Getting us to sin and keeping us from repenting. God may give him leash enough to rough us up the way he did Job, or even to kill us the way he did the saints at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. But Satan cannot condemn us or rob us of eternal life. For for the true born-again believer, he cannot. It's not in his power. We're in the hand of God. And what can take us out of his hands? What can pluck us out of his hand? No one, nothing, no power. And he goes on, the only way he can do us ultimate harm is by influencing us to sin and keep us from repentance, which is exactly what he aims to do. So Satan's main business is to advocate, promote, assist, titillate, and confirm our bent to sinning and to keep us from faith and repentance. We see this in Ephesians 2, uh, first two verses. We are dead and you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Sinning accords with Satan's power in the world. Uh, had we thought about that before? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air. So sinning accords with Satan's power in the world. When he brings about moral evil, it is through sin. When we sin, we move into his sphere. We come into accord with him. When we sin, we give place to the devil. And that's from Ephesians 4.27. Satan wants to catch us at a time when our faith is not firm, when it is vulnerable. 
It makes sense that the very thing Satan wants to destroy would also be the means of our resisting his efforts. That's why Peter says, resist him firm in your faith. It is also why Paul, why Paul says that the shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The way to thwart the devil is to strengthen the very thing he is trying most to destroy our faith. I thought that was very good, and especially in light of, of last Sunday's sermon, I thought how appropriate and uh, to, to come on the Saturday morning as I'm uh, looking and preparing for Sunday morning. So today, James 4, 7 Kept coming back to me, so uh, today we're gonna we're gonna look at James, the fourth chapter, and I want to read from verse one down through ten. Our focus will be on uh, more of verse six and seven along those lines, six, seven, and eight. James, the uh, fourth chapter, and I want to read one through ten. And again, our focus will be mainly today on that verse six, seven, and, and eight. So beginning in verse 1, James 4 from the New King James Version. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray once again. So, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, and, and just pray, Holy Spirit, be our God, be our teacher. Help us all the, that we would receive uh, what you would have for each individual this day. Lord, let, let your word apply to each situation of life that everyone is going through. And, and, and again, by your spirit, open their eyes to see that application for their lives. So Father, help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in, in the first six verses that we read, James is exposing the worldliness of the children of God. James confronts us about saying that we are truly friends of God when in all reality sometimes we live more like we're a friend of the world. And James calls us, calls us to see that our, our quarrels, our disputes, our fights come from within. <laughs> Any fighting going on in this country right now? 
we talked a little bit about this. It, it, we catch it. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Why, why is all the fighting going on? Coveting, is it not? They've got what I don't have and I deserve it. Do, do you see that? All this movement that's going on, all these things, coveting. They have it. I want it. I should have it. It boils down to coveting. And James is confronting us. Quarrels and disputes and fights. Where do they come from? From within. From a heart that covets. Thinks they deserve more than they have. And James challenges us that perhaps we don't always pray as we should. And that often when we do pray, we're only asking for that which would be to our satisfaction rather than praying for that which is for the glory of God. You know, we can all take inventory of our prayers and see perhaps how often that might be true. Praying for those things that would give us ease, that would make things better for me, just for my satisfaction, rather than saying, Heavenly Father, be glorified in me. That verse 4, just put James 4.4. 4. Does that... Does that catch you when you read that? Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, is, is this talking about what we would normally think of as an act of adultery? I don't believe it is. I, I, I believe, I agree, one writer put it this way. That it, is, is, it is likened to committing spiritual adultery. When we are friends of the world and going after the things of the world... It's as though we are committing spiritual adultery against God our Father. Going after idols, the things of the world, forsaking the one true God. See, when we stumble into sin, it is for that moment that we've placed our gaze, we've placed our affection upon something else rather than God. True? When we sin, whatever sin, plug it in, when we sin, it is because for that moment, and hopefully it's a fleeting moment and repentance will soon come, but for that moment we've placed our affection on something other than God. Adulterers and adulteresses. Spiritual adultery. We have left our first love. Does that sound familiar? To the church at Ephesus, that, that's Revelation 2, 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, because he had just talked about all the good things that this church had been doing. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And for the child of God, who and what should be our first love? You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That's our first love. And when we go after other things ahead of God, spiritual adultery. So then I've got to ask myself the question, how often have I, you can ask yourself, how often have you committed spiritual adultery? How often have we left our first love? Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, the lyric of the old song. See, that's a lot to consider, isn't it? And if we just consider that and dwell on that and dwell on that, 
pretty soon he'll just break us to nothing, would But then, then what happens? Verse 6. James 4, verse 6. <laughs> you know, after, after considering my sin, after considering how so often I don't measure up and I can't measure up, then I can read, but he gives more grace. Yes, thank the Lord. He gives more grace. For, for the true born-again believer, even in the midst of our stumbling and shortcoming, God gives more grace. Grace to be all that he calls us to be, and grace to accomplish all that he asks us to do. One, one writer said of James 4, 6, he said this, I'm sorry I don't have the name. This is, was from some old notes. I didn't reference it. I just know it's not me. What comfort there is in this verse, he gives more grace. He tells us that God is tirelessly on our side. He never falters in respect of our needs. He always has more grace at hand for us. He is never less than sufficient. He always has more and yet more to give. Whatever we may forfeit when we put self first, we cannot forfeit our salvation. For there is always more grace. No matter what we do to Him, He is never beaten. His resources are never at an, never at an end. His patience is never exhausted. His initiative never stops. His generosity knows no limits. He gives more grace. Praise the Lord that He gives more grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. But you're thankful for grace. You see, for all who believe, God not only grants saving grace, but He also grants sustaining grace. Aren't you thankful for that? Not, not, not just saving grace, but sustaining grace. A grace that will sustain us through this life and into eternity. Thank the Lord for His grace. John 1, verse 16. And of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. The ESV, the NASB says, and grace upon grace. I like that, don't you? Grace upon grace. So we have grace following grace or grace heaped upon grace. It is God's gracious supply to live as we ought to live in a fallen world. Augustine put it this way, God gives what he demands. And that's true, isn't it? God gives what he demands. Uh, another commentary said this uh, of James 4, 6. Whatever our condition or situation, he always gives us more grace. He gives grace to overcome personal weaknesses. Anybody have a personal weakness? <laughs> we all got one. We all do. I, I know my weaknesses, and i got a pretty good idea. You know your own. You know your tendencies. You know what gets you riled up or, or, or maybe takes you the other way and puts you into despondency and despair. He gives grace to overcome personal weaknesses. If to your alarm you find that you are repeatedly succumbing to a burning pursuit of worldly wisdom and thinking, God will give you more grace if you ask. If you are a victim 
of an imploding self-centeredness which repeatedly sucks you into its nothingness and you want deliverance, there is grace for the asking. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> if you are a victim of an imploding self-centeredness, it's all about me, it's all about me. Don't care about it. Just looks all about me. That's that praying for our own satisfaction thing. Imploding self-centeredness, which repeatedly sucks you into its nothingness, and you want deliverance, there is grace for the asking. Perhaps your life has insurmountable obstacles. There are obstacles in life. There are. There are trials that will come. Death of a loved one. A shattering divorce, a terminal disease, bitter ashes of failure, besetting sins. But always remember, there is more grace. Isn't that great? Grace upon grace, heaped upon grace. Let's go back to James 4, uh, put verse 6 and 7. I think I have those together. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. God resists. The ESV says God opposes. Yeah, that, that puts it into perspective, doesn't it? God opposes the proud. Uh, in Proverbs 3, verse 34, Surely he, the Lord, scorns the scornful, but gives grace to to the humble. See, the proud, those consumed with worldly lust, desires, ambitions, and pride, to be arrogant and boastful, thinking more highly of themselves than they should. The humble, the one who recognizes absolute dependence on God, the one who delights in the Lord and trembles at His Word. Isaiah 66, first two verses. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made. And he has. He has made everything. All of creation he has made. He has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Him who is poor, not, not speaking financially, poor, talking about poor a spirit, that they know that of themselves they are nothing, and they need the Lord, and they are humbled before Him, humble and contrite. God resists, He opposes, He stands against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So where do we want to be? Which side do we want to be on? Well, we want to be on the side of the humble, the one who humbles themselves before Almighty God. Psalms 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. He regards the lowly, the contrite. He draws near to them, but to the proud, oh, He, he steps back. He steps back. He will leave them to themselves, to their own doing, to go on, to go on, to go on, to dig their hole and, and to crawl in it. 
God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, therefore, in light of all that had been written beforehand, therefore submit to God. Therefore, may we align ourselves with the authority of Almighty God to be humble and contrite before Him. Don't give into being a friend of the world, but rather submit to God. That word submit is a military term, and it boils down to how we submit to proper authority. Jason's been learning that for weeks now. And that's the first thing they will break them guys of, that they will uh, follow the word that is spoken to them immediately without equivocation, without anything, but do what you're told. And, and that, that I would do that in regard to what the Lord tells me in His word. That, that we would all do that. That we would submit because He is our authority if we're truly His. And, and submission shouldn't be of a grudging obedience. That's not true submission. And I know, and I know I've read this story before. And, and, the, and this is, again, it's not mine. This was, I'm, I can remember hearing Alistair tell this story and talking about uh, submission. And, and he asked the question, is it possible to be obedient without being biblically submissive? And, and here's the story, and you'll probably remember it. A little boy coloring at the kitchen table while mother cooked supper. He stood up in the chair and mom told him to sit down. He didn't. Told him again. Sit down. He didn't. The mother went over and deployed the pow-wow method of discipline. She did the pow, he did the wow. As the mother walked, <laughs> we, we've listened to that sermon several times. I laugh every time. And to hear Alistair say that, it's, it's funny. As the mother walked back to the kitchen stove, she heard the little boy say, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I am still standing up on the inside. <laughs> that's not submission. That, that, that's grudging obedience, but that's not true submission. And so, and we all need to submit to the Lord. And, and because of that story, uh, can I have the kids' attention for a minute? And, and this would be any unmarried that's still living at home under the authority of mom and dad. True obedience. And, and uh, a member of Vody Bacham's sermon, he talked about this very thing. True obedience and submission to your parents biblically is to do what you're told, when you're told, and with a proper attitude. So that's biblical submission. Did, did we get that? To do what you're told, when you're told, and with a proper attitude. And I, I thought that's good. And that's, that's from Bodie. I think that's almost word for word what, what he said. I don't remember which sermon that was from. But, but that's true. And, and all that, that you could learn that when you're young in, in reference to mom and dad and to those in authority over you because then perhaps that might make it easier in submission to God. In, in taking what He has told us here and doing what it says, when it says it, and with proper attitude. So to submit, true submission, oh, this is good, 
True submission is a matter of the heart. Because if we don't submit, if we don't submit to the, to, what is that? That's pride. I don't have to. I know better. That's pride then, isn't it? And what did we just read about those who are proud? What does God do in regard to the proud? He opposes. He steps back. He sees them from afar. But our submission to God, child of God, our submission to God should be, should be a joyful surrender to the will of God. A joyful surrender to His will. The giving of ourselves wholeheartedly to doing God's will. It should be our delight. Amen? It should be our delight. To delight in the law of the Lord. How, how often can we read uh, words in the Psalms that will talk of that? Let, let's look at one in Psalms 37 verses 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's, that's, that's good right there, isn't it? Trust in the Lord and, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Feed on His faithfulness. When, when I read that, an old hymn come to mind. It's been a long time since we've sung it. Uh, Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now. Come and dine. See, that's true. He has called us, come and dine. And, and I, the, the psalmist uh, Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourselves also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. See, as we're delighting in the Lord, we're not thinking of self, are we? We're delighting in the Lord, and that everything that we would ask according to his will, he will give us, amen? He will give us the desires of our heart because our desires will be his desires for us. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. See, may our submission be a joyful surrender. May, may my submission to the Lord be a joyful surrender and not a grudging obedience. Uh, Paul in Romans 12 verse 1, he, he talks of this daily presentation of our lives to the Lord. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In light of what the Lord has done for us, it is only reasonable, it is only reasonable that we live for Him, that we humble ourselves before Him. So now let's go back to James 4, verse 7. Do you see how all this builds you know what James was doing as he was going through this, and it's building, it's building, it's building. So now he says, therefore, therefore submit to God, and then what will happen? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, now I believe if, if, if we keep all this, and everything we've read, everything that James is telling us, if we keep it in a proper context, I believe what James is, is saying is stop resisting God and rather start resisting the devil. Isn't that what it's 
and that's what he's been saying when you, when you get to the reality of it. Stop resisting God. Because that's pride when you resist God. Stop doing that and rather resist the devil, the one who is out to defeat you and bring you down. So stop resisting God and start resisting the devil. Because how often are we like Adam and Eve and believe what the devil tells us? Oh, preacher, I don't ever believe what the devil tells me. Well, if you said that, you probably just told a lie, didn't you? Because we've all had those moments where, where we've stumbled and fallen into sin. If we say we have no sin, yeah. Every time we sin, this is exactly what we do. We believe the devil. I'm pretty sure I don't ever believe the devil. Well, every time you sin, that's exactly what you did or you wouldn't have sinned. For that moment, we have believed a lie. See, sin is believing the lies of the devil, those things that he tells us, that we need some thing, some person, some status, some personal gratification, and all the while disbelieving God who is saying, you need me. I need you, Lord, I need you. It's believing the lie that I need this, that, this, this, this. And that's all I need. No, we need the Lord. We need the Lord. We need Him. We need Him. Sin is believing the lies of the devil. See, and we resist the devil by submitting to God and His Word. That's how we defeat the devil. That's how we defeat temptation. By submitting to God and His Word. See, whatever the power or influence the devil may have, our life in Christ is far greater. <laughs> 1 John 4, 4, you know this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't ever forget that. For the true born-again believer, the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit of darkness, the prince of the power of the air of this world. That the spirit of God in us is greater, is far greater. Greater is the spirit of God that is in us than any other spirit. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him when you're tempted to anger. Resist him. When you're tempted to worry or doubt, Resist Him. When you're tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do, resist Him. When you're tempted to say something you know you shouldn't say, resist Him. Remember, we resist the devil by submitting to God, trusting and obeying His Word. Now, I want us to go to 1 Peter 5, and I just want to read verses 5-9. through 9. And you tell me if this does not echo what James is saying. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists, and again, the ESV opposes, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now let's read that James 4, 7 through 10. Lay it right on top of that other. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What, what does our country need? What does the world need? Need the Lord. People need the Lord. They need to submit to Him and not to some leader of some movement, but submit to the Lord. Resist the devil. Resist him. Resist him. See, the, the devil can tempt, but he can't enforce. I can say that, right? He can tempt. But he can't enforce. He can't make you, he can't make me do anything. But he can tempt. He entices us. He tempts us. But he can't force us to do anything. Every sin you have committed, every sin I have committed is an inside job. And we can't use that old phrase, the devil made me do it. No, the devil may have tempted you. Or just of your own lusts and desires, temptation came. But the devil cannot force you to do anything. In James, hope I got this right, James 1 verses 14 and 15. What, what, what did James say back in the first chapter? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? Own desires. And enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, can, can it bring about physical death? Well, yes, quite possibly so, uh, depending on what activity you were tempted to be a part of. Does that make sense? Uh, there's been a lot who have tried various things and it led to their death. And uh, we referenced earlier uh, of those that, that the Lord uh, uh, put to death. And so, but when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Now, and I can remember a little bit of what I preached about when we went through this a couple years ago now. Sin can bring about death in a relationship. Sin can bring about death in a marriage. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? You know, death can be of a lot of different things, I think. But brings forth death. Then uh, Ephesians 4.27, that we would resist him, do nor give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold. We, we talked last week about when a temptation comes, a thought comes, don't let it take root. That, that's what it's saying. Don't give place to the temptation. But rather, what did we talk about last week? Take thoughts captive. Place them under the obedience of the Word of God. And remember, the devil can't make you do anything that you are not willing 
to do. So that puts it right on our shoulders. Puts it on mine, puts it on yours, doesn't it? The devil can't make you do anything that you are not willing to do. So we make the choice. We make the decision. James says we're not sitting here totally helpless and defenseless. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Submit to his word. Uh, we, we looked at last week when, when Christ, uh, uh, after his baptism, was taken up onto the mountain and was tempted uh, by the devil. And what was his response each and every time? As it is written, it is written, it is written. His response to every temptation was the word of God. We need to do that. I need to do that. Equip ourselves with the word of God so that we have a response from our authority to the one that we are submitting to. Resist the devil submitting to God's authority and God's word. And every time the devil will flee. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. A, a command and a promise. Draw near to God and He will do what? Draw near to you. Draw near. Come near. Restored fellowship. Uh, create in me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Draw near to God. Had a little list here. Draw near to God in the privacy of your own heart. Draw near to God in the exercise of personal Christian discipline. Draw near to God in the experience of heartfelt devotion and prayer. Draw near to God in the realm that is unseen by anyone else. Draw near to God when no one else is watching. Draw near to God Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday. Because what we are before God is what we are before God when no one is looking. That's a point of personal examination right there. For me and for you. Who am I when no one else is there? When I'm in my private time. Andrew Murray said, What a man is on his knees before God, that is what he is and nothing else. What a man is on his knees before God, that is what he is and nothing else. So may we draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Examination, isn't it? That's verses that are challenging. Church, verses that cause us to have to stop and to consider our ways. It takes discipline. It takes diligence, does it not? You can't just set back 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8 preached on this, I think, during when we were doing the online uh, services back in March and April, I think. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. Reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is, but, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come, exercise yourself 
toward godliness. To consider the grace that God has given us to submit to God and exercise ourselves. To be diligent. To look to Him. And a verse here that, and it goes with some of the lyrics in that song we sang, Is He Worthy? Because consider the privilege that we have today as a child of God. In, in the Old Testament, the ones who truly could draw near to God was the high priest who would once a year go in behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and be near to God. Because that's, that's where the presence of God was for them. But when Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil? Torn, and we may enter into the Holy of Holies, into His presence. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God. That lyric from the song. And it comes from this, Revelation 1, verses 4-6. through 6. Consider the privilege that we have. When it says draw near to God, consider the privilege. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, that's what Christ has done for us. When He went into the Holy of Holies and gave Himself, His own blood, upon the mercy seat. And in doing that, He has made us who believe made us kings and priests to His God and Father, so to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So is it not reasonable that we submit to Him? Is, not, is it not reasonable that we forsake anything that would become an idol that would, become, that would come between us and God? That, that's an idol. Anything that comes between, that has a higher place that takes us away from God, an idol. So may we draw near to Him. May we all submit to Him. Let's read from Psalms 40, the first four verses. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and establish my steps. Let me pause there for a moment. If you're a born-again believer, isn't this what He did for you? That He brought you out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a solid rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Now, is that not what we've been talking about today? Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. But to look to him, oh, I waited patiently for the Lord, 
to wait for Him. We didn't sing that song today. That's from Psalms 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I do hope. Is His Word our hope? Is it your hope? Is it what you go to and, and uh, when the devil comes with his temptation and lies so that you can say, oh, no, no, but no, the Word of God says this. The Word of God says this. Let's read one more time, James 4, verses 7 through 10 as we close. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And, and Lord, we, we know and I know it's a challenge for me. It's a call for me to consider my ways. Am I always submitting to you, Lord, or am I letting other things come between? Oh, Lord, may I, may I have nothing between me and my Savior. So, Lord, help us all that, that we would consider our ways. Oh, there's a multitude of things that, that in daily living has to be taken care of. And, and we're called to take care of. But Lord, let us do those things and everything that we would say and do, may it all be for your honor and glory. So Lord, grant us patience. Grant us compassion toward the lost. Grant us compassion if we should turn on the news or hear about all the garbage that is going on, that people are rising up. And Lord, we know that it, it, it's covetousness. It's coveting. I feel that some has more than they deserve. But we need the Lord. Lord, that, that we, that the children of God in the world and in this country would humble ourselves before You, that we would submit to You and to Your Word, and that, Lord, that, that You will provide a healing. And, Lord, we understand that, that Your ways are higher than our ways and that You will allow things to happen that, that would cause Your people to have to look to You. We understand that. But Lord, in the midst of it, have mercy. In justice, have mercy. So Lord, help us all to look to You. Open our eyes that we may see You and turn from our sin and follow You. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.